Good to see you. Um, glad you're here. I'm uh, excited to continue our series that we're doing in the book of Hebrews. So we just started a few weeks ago our series in Hebrews. It's going to go through May. Uh, we're calling Jesus is Greater because over and over again in the book of Hebrews, this author is convincing uh, us uh, originally writing this letter to uh, a group we think of Jewish Christians, uh, people who had been faithful Jewish people who had turned to Jesus, seen him as the Messiah that was promised and are following him. And now they're feeling some, uh, uh, like they might need to turn back to that or turn to something other than Jesus. Uh, we, we don't know. We can guess just from the context in the text. Um, today we'll look a little bit at one of those things. But they're people who are, are probably being persecuted or have some pressure on them. It's probably not popular to be that. And so uh, he's pleading with them. Jesus actually is better than anything else you could turn to. Um, and it's been such an incredible book in my life and I think right now because it feels like that. As we start this um, uh, in the book of Hebrews, we're just in chapter two. We're starting chapter two today. So if you have a Bible you want to open up to that or uh, on an app, also the words will be up on the screen. We'll put them right over here on the screen for us so we can follow along. Um, but as we start this, it's going to use a phrase that it's a, a warning to us, and it's going to encourage us not to drift away. We're going to get to that in a second, but I just want to think of that phrase as we start our time. This is going to be a phrase that comes up other times in Hebrews, and really a theme that's going to be uh, is all over Scripture, but uh, is all over Hebrews of what does it look like to be anchored and not drift away. And so it's going to give us warnings. Today we're going to look at one of the ways, one of the reasons why Jesus is so good and he's better and superior that we should hold to him so we don't drift away. Um, it makes me think, though, of, of a boat. Obviously, maybe you thought earlier when we first uh, gathered, uh, we I asked, you know, we looked at some gifts of boats and you thought, why in the world would Drew spend time looking up boat gifts? I want to start thinking about boats because today we're going to think, what does it look like to drift in a boat? I remember as a kid, um, a few different moments of drifting. Um, I remember being, at, when I was in high school, I got kind of into fishing with friends. We got a canoe and we would haul that canoe on my old car to a lake and we'd paddle around the lake and we would fish and hang out. I think it was just fun to hang out together. But I remember many, many times that we all wanted to fish, all two or three of us, and so one of we one of us would not be paddling this canoe and we would slowly like drift 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 not even know we we're drifting and we'd end up like uh, hitting someone's dock i remember multiple times people saying hey you're going to hit our dock how did we find ourselves there right or drifting into some uh marshy tall grass or just drifting away <laughs> somewhere or a boat zooms by and it, the waves how quick we found ourselves drifting when we weren't paying attention we weren't continuing to paddle i remember uh, sharing this, I think it was with my dad, and he said, well, um, is your anchor not strong enough? I don't know. I don't think we have an anchor. Why would we have an anchor? And he described me how an anchor works, which I knew, but thought, why would I need an anchor? <laughs> well, that's why, right? So we ended up getting some old rope and bought an anchor, and we threw it in there, and I think we might even use like a cinder block the first time. We threw it in there uh, to tie our boat up, and then we found ourselves not drifting, maybe a little bit drifting. I remember this as a kid being fishing with my grandfather. 
um, and making sure we're anchored where we're supposed to be anchored, making sure someone was by the the motor, keeping their hand on the rudder so that, you know, as we go, we're not drifting. I think this, this happens, right? We, we can find ourselves in a place that maybe is still and we're focused on something and we slowly drift. And then all of a sudden we look up and find ourselves in a different place. Sometimes that's on us because we have – uh, maybe it's a lack of self-control. Maybe it's just us looking to many other things. Uh, we find ourselves drifting, right, in, in lots of different areas of life. Sometimes it might be a storm that comes from the outside that pushes us and pulls us and makes it hard to see. And the waves are crashing over into our boat and we just get pushed somewhere else. We're just happy to, to kind of make it out of that. Well, this passage we're going to look at right now in Hebrews 2 is going to remind us not to drift um, and we're going to look at what does it mean? What are the things that cause us to drift? And this is specifically talking about uh, drifting from our salvation in Christ. But I think it, right now, uh, at this time in the pandemic, it's been so many months. I remember thinking how funny it was that people were talking about the fall. We're still dealing with it. We're way past that. I, I feel a lot of drifting in lots of areas, just loss of self-control, um, discipline and things, just feeling overwhelmed, maybe feeling like waves crashing, maybe feeling like waves pushing hard and just holding on so that I don't fall out of the boat and not knowing where I'm going to end up. And so today I, I hope we can be encouraged by this. I've been really encouraged by this. And so let's let's open our Bibles and look at what Hebrews tells us about drifting. Uh, and maybe how do you combat that? And we're going to look at at least one area of that today. So we go. Here's Hebrews 2. We start in verse 1. We must pay more, more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. We're just going to start here in the beginning. This, this word, we do not drift away. We got to pay attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. There's something about hearing something, a message that was told to us, and paying attention to that that causes us not to drift and move away. So, so what are they getting at here? We, we just were hearing uh, earlier about angels in, in chapter 1 and then uh, Jesus being superior to those angels, and it's going to continue some of this discussion right here. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received it's just punishment. So we'll stop here. The messages from angels are binding, and then there's violations and disobedience. They have punishment. What is going on? Um, we were just talking about angels, and it's continuing the discussion using angels to talk about this message uh, that was given to us. So it's saying, you heard a message, and you're drifting away from that message. The message was first given to us by angels. Now, this is... Um, we, we know historically that these angels brought a message to Moses. We see this in Acts chapter 7. This is what chapter 7 says. And it's actually quoting the stories of the Old Testament. This uh, is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He, goes, he was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. So it's an angel that gave a message to Moses, right, and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. So an angel gave a message to Moses, and we know that's the law. God gave 
the law to his people on Mount Sinai. And this law was to show people how to live. It, it was given by the creator to creation to say, this is the way I set things up so you'd have life. I even love in this passage, it says, receive the living words to pass on to us. Words that bring life and not death. They're making choices. They're worshiping things that brought ultimately death to them. Maybe death in the moment. Like it, it wasn't life-giving. It wasn't didn't give peace or joy. But also death long-term, right? Also eventually just brought death to you. And it says here, remember though, but our ancestors refused to obey him. They, they turned from this. They drifted from this message. Instead, they rejected him and their hearts turned back to Egypt. So we hear here that the people rejected the message. And because in rejecting that message, they found themselves ultimately moving towards death. Not God's full life that he offers to us, but death. That, that breaks things as brokenness, that brings darkness and chaos. Ultimately, God wants this full life for us. Not just, uh, not just a ticket to heaven, not this just like you, someday you might not die, but a, a eternal life, but also right now a fullness of life we hear in John 10.10, 10, right? Jesus comes to give us life and life to the fullest. There's a fullness to your life right now when you turn and we're anchored in Jesus. So this law showed us how to live and it says that angels brought it and we people rejected that and it brought. Think of the punishment that brought. Now wait, it continues. How shall we escape if we ignore such great salvation? It's saying how much better then is the message Jesus brought. And it explains it to us. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Okay, so what is it saying? It's just, it's just kind of explaining itself. So we start with pay close attention so you don't drift away. This message that you heard from angels originally, right? he's talking to Jewish Christians, and so he's saying, you know this in your history, there was these angels that brought the message of God's law, but this law is perfect in Christ. And so how do we know that this law is good? It's because we see it brought by the king himself. Consider this, a messenger maybe is sent by a king. Think of you live in the countryside um, in a kingdom, right? And a messenger comes from the castle and says, I have a message. He's a scroll, right? With a seal on it. And he says, hey, I have a message from the king himself here. And he gives it to you. And you read the message. You say, wow, that is important what you're telling me. This is really valuable. This is really uh, right and good. It's from our king. What if the next time a knock was on your door, you opened the door, it was the king himself. And he just spoke to you the message. He told you the message. How much greater would that message be? How much more, how different it would be to believe that and know it's true. Even how you'd react with your king and have a relationship with your king. Well, it says here, the angels brought their messengers, right? They brought, they brought this message of salvation, of the gospel. But Jesus, it says here, four different ways we hear this message is brought. So how good is this message and true is this message that we cannot drift from? It says four different ways. It says, first, the Lord, by the Lord, by this talk about Jesus, he announces it himself, right? God 
Jesus comes down from heaven. The king comes himself and tells us, right, throughout the gospel, we hear Jesus says, this is what it looks like to follow me, to be a faithful follower of God. He announces in the gospels what it looks like. He also then tells that to the people, and those people testify to us. That's what we're reading right now, is the book of Hebrews, someone who God gave his words to, and so he's using Jesus, and he's using God's people who have been around Jesus and are testifying to him. It continues, right, to use God's people to share his message. He also uses God the Father, who testifies through powerful signs and wonders and various miracles. His power comes in to people um, and also situations, right? Whether he's controlling nature or people or creation, uh, we see these wonderful things, these, this creation, and we can attest and just say, God, you're so good. It's so true. So we hear the message through Jesus, through the people who are with Jesus, who even for us have written the New Testament. At this time, there wasn't a New Testament. It was just people writing this letter, even we're reading, right? God himself, Jesus, his people, God, the Father, and he completes the Trinity, right? He even says, and the Holy Spirit has come. Is this cool? This is a moment where like, in Hebrew, the author is telling us about the Trinity, that there's this um, one God and three persons of him, and he uses all of them to tell us this message of the gospel. And I love how, how we see it here. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You hear what he's saying here? Not, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to people you, me, the church, and he uses those to spread the message. You're a gift from God used to bring the message of life. The angels brought a message and that same message is being brought, but how much better? And it's through Jesus and his people and God the Father and the Spirit using you and how you're gifted. Is that not the coolest thing and kind of a scary thought that he's using you to do that? And so we continue this thought. How do we not drift? Well, we have to hear that message, right? We be careful to pay attention to that message because we're going to hear lots of other messages of where salvation ultimately comes or what's going to rescue us, what's going to pull us out of this thing, this brokenness we're in now. And he's saying you can trust this because of all the ways God has brought this message to you. And so let us not drift. Let us not ignore such a great salvation. It seems silly when it's in that well, phrasing almost, right? Like, why would I ignore such a great salvation? We need to hear the message of Jesus, the living message. And so now he's going to share one of the ways for us to help think about this and how we apply this uh, a few different ways. Today, we're just going to look at one. So as we move to Hebrews 2.5, we're going to get into one of the ways he's going to encourage us in how not to drift. We, this, this message is so important. Here's one of the ways we don't drift. It starts with this. It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come, which we are speaking, but there's a place where someone has testified. There's stuff going on. That's a sentence that I had to read six times. What are you talking about? It, it's not to angels that he was subjected, that he has subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking, but there's a place someone has testified. He's about to share some scripture here, some some uh, a psalm. But first, um, let's let's look at this quote. This this really helped clear this up. He, it's talking about angels aren't in charge of the world to come. Um, 
so why is this important? Uh, let, let's read this. This is from uh, Donald Hagner. So Donald's going to um, share this. This is a great resource if you're looking to just uh, a good like entry level unpack Hebrews and learn a little more. It's got lots of good stuff in it. It's called Encountering the Book of Hebrews. There's a whole series of these books, Encountering the Book of whatever book of the Bible. Most of them are great. Um, this one's been really uh, helpful, encouraging me. But, but Donald says this about this passage. The one to whom deity is ascribed in the opening chapter had actually appeared in history as a human being. So he's saying earlier in Hebrews, the first chapter, right in the beginning, it comes right out of the gates and gives this introduction of Jesus. Like he's God, he saved us, he's the ultimate, he's supreme, he's the greatest. And then he's going to write, write the whole book of Hebrews and tell us why that's true. So he's saying, the one to whom deity is ascribed in the opening chapter, well, you just said Jesus was better than everything, had actually appeared in history as a human being. This fact, however, constitutes a considerable problem for the author's argument, considering the superiority of the Son to the angels. So he's saying, there's a problem, though, because you're saying he's the ultimate, but then you're saying he just came as a human. I am a human, and I'm aware I'm not the ultimate, hopefully. And so you're saying he's like God of the universe, but then you're saying he's human? Those things don't seem to, to mix. I'm not sure what you mean by this. By their very nature, angels are superior to human beings. Furthermore, so he's saying, you just told me he was superior to humans, but then you also told me he was human. How does that work? Furthermore, there are problems of the suffering and death of Jesus, of Christ, which also would seem to point to the inferiority of Jesus to the angels. Saying, your argument that he's better than angels doesn't work when you say, you could say it doesn't work because you're saying he's also human. The author addresses the problems head on. So he's saying, okay, what we've been talking about, as a Jewish Christian, you know your Old Testament. You know that him becoming a person and human it isn't making him better than angels. It's actually making him lower than angels. And so that, that's what this beginning of this is saying. He's saying, so let's consider this first. We are saying that, but you're not getting the full story. And so he quotes Psalm 8. I love in this. He doesn't even say where it's from. He just says, there's a place where someone has said. He just says, let's look at scripture that God's given us. And he quotes Psalm 8. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Do you remember this? This summer we, we went through this psalm together. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. So he pulls out this psalm. He just says, hey, you know, this was written. This explains this. This solves this problem that we're having here. And say, I don't totally get what is man that he's more mindful of him. What, what does this have to do with explaining why Jesus is still better? What he's ultimately doing is he's going to explain the whole story and not just get stuck on the one part. And the story right before this uh, in the book of Psalms, if you just crack open your Bible, uh, you'd say, okay, I'm reading my Bible. And in most Bibles, there's going to be a little letter or a little number right at the end of this passage. Uh, and it'll say, it'll point me at the bottom of my page probably uh, to what Psalm it's in. And so I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to read maybe more of that Psalm because sometimes the whole context of it actually really speaks more to it. And so I open my Bible to Psalm 8 and I hear these words right before what this says. It says, when I look at the heavens your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? 
the son of man, that you care for him. So this psalm is talking about how grand everything is that you created. And, and why do you care about little me, little people who sin and turn from you? Why would you care for that? So the original author of, of this psalm was writing it to say, why would you care for us? And then this psalm has this greater, grander meaning that, that probably in that moment they didn't, weren't aware of, but now we get to see on this side of the cross, it's telling the story of the gospel. And so that's actually what this author um, tells us uh, in this. It's actually reminding us that this son of man, why would you care about him? Well, we made him lower than angels. It means that he became human. The king came down and stepped down into his kingdom, becoming human, still God, but becoming human so he could suffer and die and be put in a tomb. And if we stopped there, we'd say, yeah, that doesn't sound like he's better than angels. It doesn't sound like he's really better than anyone. But don't forget the next part. Then you crowned him with glory and honor. Why? Because he rose from the dead, defeated sin and death, brought all of us out of the grave with him. He paid that price for us. And then he ascended back to heaven and is seated at his throne still today. And you put everything under his feet, meaning he, he now, everything is under him. He's now defeated death and sin, the greatest of enemies. And uh, he now rules all things, which is what the passage then goes on to explain. The author here says, let me explain to you why I would use this passage. And so he goes on. He says, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. So he's saying, if you, if you just dwell, if you just somehow get fixated on, yeah, but Jesus came and just became a human, that means he's not that great. I think I'm going to turn back to what I enjoyed worshiping before. He's saying, hold on, you've got to hear the whole message. Don't forget the whole message. Then he rose from the dead. Then he defeated sin and death, and now he's still on his throne, and everything is under his control. He's got all things in his hands. He, God left nothing that isn't under his control. It reminds us that he became low and suffered, but that is to rescue us and pull us out of, of death and suffering so that he can have all things under control so he could be crowned with glory and honor. And it goes on, yet all, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. This is the part I want to stop for a second. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying, yet at, at right now, so everything's under Jesus. So, so if we follow this, how it's been written, please don't drift away. You got to remember the message that was first brought by angels, but it's even clearer and so important you hear what God and his people, the whole Trinity has come to tell you this message of salvation that's in Jesus. Hold to this. This must be your anchor. Keep your hand on the, the motor, right? Don't drift from this. This is it, the message of salvation. Yeah, but didn't Jesus just become a human? Was he just a person? No, remember Psalm 8? He did become lower than angels, but then was crowned with glory. He had to do that to rescue us. And so now, everything is under him. Remember that, how good that is? Yet, yeah, yeah, but look around. It doesn't feel that way. I mean, some things, yes, in my own life, I, I have found joy and identity and these things in him, but it's still... Looking around doesn't seem like his kingdom is reigning completely. It doesn't seem that way. I think this is a big reason why we drift. If we're just going to 
Fast forward right to 2021, we look around and we see brokenness in the world and ourselves. It doesn't look like King Jesus is necessarily on his throne. We see suffering and we experience suffering. And it's hard to consider if King Jesus, who is good and loves us, why would there be suffering? We see chaos. We see all this polarization in our country. We watch the news and we hear about attacks on our capital. We, we hear about troops moving into our capital. We're like, what is going on? We might even begin to look back at our own history, even the history in the church of feeding false gospels of American prosperity or even worship of our country tied to Jesus. And we say, oh, that doesn't seem like a Jesus that I want to anchor in my life. We go, this, this is, doesn't seem like everything is subject to him. We see self-reliance as full life and that isolates us and refuses, we refuse help or community. These things, all right, we see these things and all of a sudden we turn back and we go, whoa, I'm far from that spot I was in. We find ourselves focusing on these things. We find ourselves being called to the rocky shores where a boat will crash and we will flounder. We will, we will drown, right? Because we look into all these things. This just doesn't seem like Jesus really is an anchor. We become inward thinking that maybe even we are the king. Why would we need Jesus to be king? To just be real honest, I, I think I see a screen in my hand and I look at that screen and it, it screams hopelessness to me a lot. And, and it screams to tell me who I should hate and who I should worship and what I should be doing right now. And I want to do that so other people think I'm doing the right thing. And then I find myself, as I look up from that screen, drifted far away. So how do we stop that drift? Well, thank God it's the next verse, right? I love this. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, not crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. It's just explaining this psalm to us. It's, he's crowned with glory because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It's the gospel. It's saying, but we see Jesus. Look at him. Look to Jesus. He's our anchor. If we look at him, we don't find ourselves drifting off. We look at him first and he changes our hearts and our minds. And then we look out to the word. Then we look at a screen and it changes how we look at it. It doesn't tell us anymore who we are and who we're supposed to hate or who we're supposed to love. We look at it and we say, I know who God has told me to love. All of these people, even the really hard ones. And I know my identity. It tells me, Jesus tells me who that is. Because I look, I see Jesus. I, I love this imagery that we look and we see Jesus. Now, there, there's this great story of this. There's a, a preacher who I love. I would encourage all of you to find his sermons. Or there's actually lots of, um, there's a podcast where people read his sermons. Um, his name is Gardner C. Taylor. He's, he's been a great encouragement to me. He's, I like laugh and I cry and I get so pumped up um, listening to him. Now, he, there's a story early in his career preaching where he was preaching this passage. And he was, he was 
encouraging people with all that's around. We can get distracted and drift and he keeps yelling to them, can you see Jesus? Can you see Jesus? And in the town that they're in, the power goes out on the side of town that they're in. And so it goes black. Everyone's sitting in a dark, quiet church. And Pastor Taylor doesn't say anything. No one knows what to do. And then suddenly from the back of the room, someone yells out, Go on, preacher! We can see Jesus in the darkness! Go on, preacher! We can see Jesus in the darkness! What a good word! I need this on my mirror every morning. Go on, church. We can see Jesus in the darkness. We can look around and say, gosh, it's dark. This doesn't look right. I, I guess Jesus isn't the, the thing I think he was. Or, or we could say, wait, wait, Jesus is the one who brings light to this darkness. This also makes me um, think uh, tomorrow is uh, Martin Luther King Jr., day where we celebrate his birthday, which was last week, and uh, his legacy. And sitting in our home, we have a uh, we have this hanging up on our house. If you, if you hope someday, hopefully you'll all get to come over, um, and you can try to find this. Um, we have this hanging up. This is really cool. There's, uh, there's a uh, person who creates fonts, right? And they created a font from the handwriting of MLK, and so you can actually type on your computer, and it writes whatever you want in his handwriting, like as if he gave you a letter. At least that's how I feel. And so I've typed up one of my favorite quotes by him that I want to see every time I walk out of my house, um, just a reminder to me. And so I have this on my wall as if like he actually wrote me a, a note. Um, it's really special, but it reminds me of this. Um, as we're celebrating him tomorrow, I, I, I would pray you'd think of this. You'd think of Gar Gardner C. Taylor uh, and this person in the back of the room reminding us we can see Jesus in the darkness. The MLK says, uh, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. In a time where we might feel like there's darkness, whether that's in your own heart, your own life, in your own house, uh, maybe it's someone you related to in your house. Maybe it's just the <laughs> all of the news we see. You might feel like there's a lot. And uh, to not drift and just say, I'm going to use darkness to push that darkness. I'm going to use more hate to push that hate out. We turn to Jesus. We see Jesus. We anchor ourselves to him. And then that light is what pushes darkness out. We not only are satisfied in our own souls, but now we become those who God uses the Holy Spirit gifts to help love and bring light to those around us. This last week, um, a friend of mine who uh, goes to our downtown location um, said, man, I was really impacted this week by the sermon. I said, oh, what, what was that? He said, oh, Pastor Kaur, um said Jesus so many times this week. I don't remember much else from the sermon. He said Jesus so many times. I think he said Jesus more times than I looked at my phone to read news about the Capitol. I needed that this week. I needed to hear Jesus more than I hear things on my phone. I thought, what? A, I mean, that was, what a good word. And that, I think, is what today we want to leave with. Friends, let us not drift. Let's keep our hands on the rudder. Let's keep Jesus as our anchor. 
Let's go on, church, because we can still see Jesus in the darkness. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that your light cannot be put out, cannot be overcome by darkness. Do not let that determine how the world works, but let you, the creator, the king, and your message inform us to who we are and how the world is and what it will be. Let us cling to you that we would not drift. Let us look to you more than we look to anything else. Let us hear your name over and over, whether we're reading it or hearing it from a friend. We're listening to it in a song. Let us hear your name. And that that would be our anchor, that we would see you. Pray this for us and that we would too be lights in dark places. Pray this in your good name. Amen. We're going to.